Welcome to the Insomnia Coach Podcast. My name is Martin Reed. I believe that by changing how we respond to insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it, we can move away from struggling with insomnia and toward living the life we want to live. The content of this podcast is provided for informational and educational purposes only. It's not medical advice and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, disorder, or medical condition. It should never replace any advice given to you by your physician or any other licensed healthcare provider. Insomnia Coach LLC offers coaching services only and does not provide therapy, counseling, medical advice, or medical treatment. The statements and opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily endorsed by Insomnia Coach LLC. All content is provided as is and without warranties, either express or implied. Wayne's experience with insomnia began when he was preparing for his board exams. Because he needed to get up earlier than usual, he started going to bed earlier than usual. Unfortunately, this made it harder for Wayne to fall asleep, and as a result, nights started to become stressful and he began to experience a lot of sleep-related anxiety. In an effort to address this sleep disruption, Wayne started implementing a number of sleep hygiene rituals. He experimented with sleep supplements and started to record, analyze, and evaluate every aspect of his sleep. Unfortunately, these actions, although completely understandable, served only to perpetuate his insomnia. Ultimately, Wayne got his sleep back on track by recognizing that sleep is a natural process that doesn't require or respond well to effort. He started to go to bed later at night. He started to make some space for difficult thoughts, feelings, and emotions rather than trying to fight them. And he reminded himself that sleep always happens in the end. This process took time, but today Wayne thinks of sleep as a friend, not as an enemy or something to be feared. He no longer puts pressure on himself to sleep, and he no longer puts any effort into sleep. As a result, he sleeps well and is living the kind of life he wants to live. A full transcript of this podcast and an accompanying video can be found at insomniacoach.com forward slash podcast. Hi Wayne, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to come onto the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to go through everything we've got planned to discuss, but um, let's we're never going to get anywhere unless we start at the beginning, right? So let's start there. If you could just give us an idea of when your sleep problems first began and what you think maybe caused those initial issues with sleep. Okay. Uh, yeah, so my sleep problems started back in March of 2020, right around the beginning of uh, COVID. Um, and... It all happened when, during, around the time when I was uh, preparing for my um, board exams for optometry school. And 
I remember at the time I, I had given myself a very strict uh, bedtime that I wanted to meet in order to um, basically prepare myself not only mentally and 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 also um, academically for for boards, but I wanted to have a good sleep schedule. And so, typically, I was a person who went to bed at you know twelve, one, two, a little bit later. You could consider me a night owl. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, for this exam that I was preparing for, I had to get up basically around six thirty or seven, and to me that was very daunting. Mm-hmm. And so. I told myself I need to get to bed by 11 at the latest. And so I pushed, I put this pressure on myself to really get to bed um, around that time. And so in, uh, so that was around March when the test was going to be. And so that's when it all started. Okay. And what, what were those kind of nights like when you started to experience those sleep disruption? Was it difficulty first falling asleep? Because I'm guessing that from what you said, you started to go to bed a little bit earlier in order to try and make up for the fact that you're going to be also waking up a bit earlier. So were you having issues falling asleep or was it more to do with waking during the night and then finding it hard to fall back to sleep? Or maybe maybe it was the double whammy and a little bit of both. Yeah, it was a, a little bit of both. But mainly for me personally, it was that. Uh, falling asleep Mm. um if i fell asleep i could um, most of the time i could get through the night um and i those nights were very stress driven and and there was a lot of anxiety that Mm. surrounded um, the nights um I, i can still specifically remember the night when it all started was um was about a week before the exam, um, I started taking sleep supplements to try to get to bed and even bought, um, even took NyQuil to try to get to bed. Mm-hmm. And one night I remember just taking some NyQuil and not being able to fall asleep. And this panic kind of set in thinking to myself, what if this was exam night? I would not be able to sleep and I'm tired i'm on beds and i'm not falling asleep and so um i think my sleep my relationship and my my thought about sleep kind of broke down there um but most of my nights to answer your question were were just difficulty falling asleep Mm. when i would spend um you know upwards of two three hours to fall asleep um, and some days I couldn't fall asleep until like six or seven in the morning. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, insomnia's, um, I think one of the big challenges with insomnia is not only does it affect us at night, but it really can affect us during the day too, right? It's like this thing that's like, seems to be with us 24 hours a day. Um, how are you finding it? If, if anything, were you finding that it was affecting your days as well? Like what were your days like um, when you were, when you were going through this struggle with sleep? Yeah. Um, it, I think in the beginning, uh, before I went through all of my treatment, my thought about um, how my day was, was very much linked to how I slept that night. Mm-hmm. If I only slept two or three hours, it, it just kind of, I just got this idea in my head that my day 
was going to be terrible. It was going to be tiring. And, um, and the day were just harder because I think I had put that impression on myself and um and that's how it was it was it was difficult the days I did that I didn't get sleep and and you kind of spend your day kind of thinking about it and it was quite consuming to go through yeah. it yeah absolutely so you kind of touched upon it already in terms of like the supplements and the over-the-counter stuff what what were there any other kind of things that you tried you know to get your sleep back on track or to fix this issue um before you started implementing these behavior change techniques which we'll talk about in a moment that on reflection you've now think mm, those probably weren't that helpful or these things that i did can you think of anything else that you tried um, yeah, I, I basically, I spent a lot of time researching the internet and mm -hmm. there were a lot of sleep hygiene things that, that, um, that were recommended. Um, one of the biggest ones was, um, just kind of removing yourself from any screen time before bed. Um, I even got a, um, one of those lights that mimicked UV rays, um, that I would kind of just shine at myself during the day to kind of like, mm -hmm. um, I guess, try to build my circadian rhythm. Um, I, but all along, I, I, I wanted, I always, always afraid of like getting into a habit of like depending on uh, some, any substance to, in order to fall asleep. So mm -hmm. I actually, for the most part, stayed away from the supplements after I've developed this um, like chronic insomnia. I admit I, mm -hmm. I, in the beginning, I was relying on it, but um, I, I think I grew fairly afraid of taking anything internally. Um, I even saw a um, kind of like a sleep um, specialist and, you know, they recommended me to have um, like a sleep study and she prescribed um, I believe it was tramadol for me to, for the nights to, that I can't sleep to fall asleep. And I remember, you know, filling the prescription and that to this day, I've only ever had half of a pill and never wow. touched that stuff. Yeah. Um, but um, I, yeah, I tried to stay away from it, but I, aside from that, I tried a lot of different things, because, mm -hmm. you know, trying to meditate before bed and, um, I just felt like I was creating a lot of rituals um, around bed and it became almost like a obsessive worship of it. And um, I think after, you know, going through um, the treatment with you, I, I've kind of, you know, you helped me discover that, um, that although those things are good on their own, that I became, my obsessiveness with it actually made it um, counterintuitive and, and didn't help me um, as it should. Um, when another thing that I would do was I would have these um, quote unquote downtimes right before bed. And for a while I thought they were working for me. So there were nights when I didn't get to have my ritualistic um, downtime. I always thought to myself, uh oh, like, this is a night that I won't be falling asleep. Mm. Yeah, that's, you know, and I remember when we were working together, this was one of the things we discussed, you know, how your insomnia 
followed this really predictable path you know how we have this actual model for the development of insomnia the 3p model you know where the first p is predisposition some of us are just predisposed not necessarily to chronic insomnia but just to temporary sleep disruption from time to time so in your case for example recognizing that you're a strong night owl and then knowing that you're going to have to change your routine that can trigger some temporary sleep disruption right which is the second p the precipitating event whatever it is that triggers the sleep disruption so again really clear for you um you're like this model textbook case right um you had to study you were doing your studying you had the exams you had to get up earlier different whole different schedule to what your body was used to um and normally like more probably more than nine times out of ten when whatever that trigger is is no longer relevant or we've adapted to it um our sleep just gets back on track but if it doesn't that's where that third P comes into play. It's all these perpetuating factors. And this is just a symptom of being a human being that wants to fix problems, right? We do things like going to bed earlier, um, maybe even staying in bed later on the weekends to try and catch up on sleep or napping during the day, doing all that research, um, rituals, um, experiments, all that stuff that is done with the best of intentions and seems quite logical when we're doing them but they kind of backfire on us and they can end up making sleep more difficult and they perpetuate the problem. Um, And so I'd like to just talk about that. I'd like to just mention that model because it helps us recognize that what we're experiencing isn't unique and that there are those perpetuating factors that we can influence and we can control. Although we can't control sleep itself, we can definitely control our behaviors in a way that helps create better conditions for sleep removes any of those behaviors that might be perpetuating sleep disruption. We can also do things that explore our relationship with our sleep related thoughts and just sleep itself that can, that can help tackle those perpetuating factors too. Yeah. um, It's funny. You mentioned that like, you know, we, people are typically problem solvers and so you have a problem to solve it. And, And I think that's like, that really speaks to my character. It's like, you know, I'm always a person like when I see a problem, there's got to be a solution. So like you got to mm-hmm. go and figure out the solution and I'm in medicine. So that is even ingrained in me and trained um, since I was a student to, to kind of look at it that way. And so I think for me, that was really the perpetuating factor was it's like, I guess I just spent so much time thinking about um, how to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. And when in fact, the solution is to really forget about it. And <laughs> even though that was told to me, it was such a hard thing for me to like, let go, um, yeah. to, to actually like, let go of the, you know, the problem and know, and just trust that it, it's kind of a thing that, um, you know, you, you, you can't try to put effort into sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that really um, speaks to me. Um, um, sorry, could you uh, repeat the last question that you asked? Yeah, I was just, you know, summarizing how in cases of insomnia, they're pretty much uh, identical from person to person. So although like our individual circumstances can be unique, the insomnia itself usually isn't and how 
your experience was almost like this textbook example, right? Just of you've got these clear um, predisposing factor, this clear precipitating factor, and then all these clear perpetuating factors, you know, so this desire to fix a problem, which is this human trait, you know, um, and especially when we have kind of a very analytical mind or a very scientific mind, you know, um, and we can get tripped up here because everything in life responds well to effort, right? I can't think of anything that doesn't usually respond well to effort apart from sleep um <laughs> so you know our brain is naturally telling us you got to put effort into sleep here you got to try to sleep you know you got to make sleep happen you got to control sleep you got to get a certain amount of sleep a certain type of sleep do it make it happen and as soon as we put that effort in that's when we tend to get caught up in the struggle because sleep doesn't respond to to effort or to pressure um the only thing that can make sleep happen is being awake for long enough um that really is all we can do um but that's not to say you know just like you touched upon it's hard to say um okay i just need to stop trying i need to stop putting effort into it um because we we're natu we naturally want to fix a problem um, and this is why i think these behavioral change techniques can be helpful because they still give us an outlet for that effort you know we've still got tasks to, that we can do that help create better conditions for sleep so we're kind of redirecting our efforts in a more constructive and positive way on setting the stage for sleep rather than trying to make sleep happen yeah that reminds me of uh something that we were working on for me you know, thinking about sleep during the day was a really big problem for me. And so something you told me to do was, you know, kind of limit yourself, um, you know, kind of allow yourself to still think about it, but set a window for yourself to, I think, I don't remember how much time you allotted me, but it was like 15 minutes or 20 minutes a day where I'm allowed to think and research sleep as much as I want. Mm. But, you know, after that point, you know, you, you just got to let it go. And, I think that was also, you know, really, really helpful. And another thing that um, that I was obsessively doing was um, kind of focusing on the numbers, you know, during the nights and tracking the sleep efficiency and mm -hmm. how much sleep I was getting per night. Um, that I think there was there came a point when you were like, just forget about, you know keeping track of the numbers and just just let it happen and mm. i think that was a really big turning point for me it was yeah. just learning to to let all of it go yeah that the the tracking can really be like this double-edged sword because like when i'm working with clients Many clients find it helpful to, you know, to just start filling out some sleep journals just with like best guesses, you know, which is what I always encourage. If someone's going to start filling out a sleep diary, you know, of when they went to bed, how much time they think they spent awake, for example, things like this, I always encourage them to just use your best guess because we don't want you to be like checking the time throughout the whole night, you know, getting, all right, I was awake for 17 and a half minutes at 3.07 a.m., things like that. Not helpful, right? Because we have to be alert to be able to record all those things. And mm -hmm. if we're giving the brain all those tasks, we're not creating good conditions for sleep. And some clients just don't find it helpful at all. They really benefit from just not even keeping any kind of sleep log, you know, and just every week or two, just thinking, how do I feel I did over the past couple of weeks? 
And that's just fine too, because sleep is so subjective anyway. You know, one person would feel great after five hours of sleep. One person will feel terrible after five hours of sleep. So the numbers themselves don't really matter. All that really matters is how we feel about our sleep. Um, so we really don't have to be that analytical about tracking it. And it just draw, it's one of those things, right, that can just draw more attention to sleep, especially if we get hooked into using all those activity tracking devices, you know, with the apps and stuff. First thing we do in the morning is check all the, all the data. And another reason why they sometimes can trip us up is there's not really anything we can do with that information anyway. If you learn yeah. that you've got X amount of a certain sleep stage, for example, well, there's nothing you can do to change to change your sleep architecture. Um, if it tells you you've been awake for a certain amount of time during the night, there's not really anything you can do in response to 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 actually cut that down. You know, we can influence things, but we can't actually directly control any of that information. So really, it's just extra external noise that we have to deal with. Yeah, and I'm glad that you said that. You know, that sleep is kind of subjective from person to person. And going back to what I said earlier, how in the beginning when I would get like you know two hours of sleep, I would just say to myself, "Like, oh, today is going to be a terrible day." Um, I will say one benefit that I got from going through all of the um, chronic insomnia was I've learned to like live life normally with just you know few hours of sleep, and I. You know, these days I don't really let myself get influenced by that, and for the most part, like I'm like I get really good sleep, but there occasionally comes a day or two when not even that I can't fall asleep, but they're just you know I'm busy with work or whatever the circumstances, and then I'm not getting as much sleep as I like. It really, those days really don't influence me mm. the way they used to because I realize that. You know, I can function really well, um, even if it's just a few hours of sleep. And um, the people who learn to live um, insomniacs are are people who who you know are really good at going through their day with minimal sleep. Yeah, and um, yeah, that that is something that you know it's it's how you kind of view your sleep your your relationship about sleep mm -hmm. and i think you know this program really did teach me to kind of really view your sleep and it you know it's something that you so, sometimes you can do it on your own but i felt like i was one of those people who needed a guidance in, yeah. in kind of like changing my mindset about how i viewed it yeah so let, let's talk about that a little bit more, because I remember when we first started working together, it was over a year ago now, I think it was like a year and three months or something like that. Um, yeah. When you first came to me, you said that you had been implementing CBTI techniques, um, but you f kind of felt like a little bit frustrated or you weren't kind of getting the results you were, you were, you were hoping for. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Like how long we, what kind of techniques first and foremost were you implementing uh, like, and for how long and what was it about the process that you felt unhappy or uncomfortable with? So I initially um, was doing the uh, sleep journaling and just keeping really, really good records about how, 
how I slept, how much I slept, what time I went to bed, my sleep efficiency. And it was all color coded. And it was like mm. this something like a problem solver, a person who's problem solving would do. And, um, and, you know, limiting, limiting my sleep, was kind of also part of it. And I have to say that it was helpful. And that, you know, I, there were days when I would get my seven, eight hours of sleep. And I think that became my issue was I, my biggest issue was that I ran into was not getting very consistent results. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I was the person to, to blame for that because I would get good stretches of sleep, maybe three or four days where I would fall asleep within 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would kind of relax on my restrictions a bit thinking, you know what? I think I've, I'm good. I think I've reached that point. And sometimes just getting out of that too early um, became my issue. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, and then not only that, but there was still a lot of, um, I guess, like bad views that I had of sleep that still lingered in my mind about it. And I think ultimately, you know, for all of, for insomnia to finally go away, it really was changing your mindset about how you viewed sleep. And, um, and I think, you know, that, that was some, I needed you to help me with that. <laughs> mm. okay. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Was how, because everyone listening to this is going to be like, I recognize that I probably do need to change my mindset about sleep and my relationship with sleep. Um, but how do we do that? Um, do you have any tips for people listening to this? Like how, how, how were you able to do that? I think it, it's, it was, it's such a simple phrase that you said to me, but it really stuck to me. It was like, sleep is always going to win in the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. You're going to fall asleep. It's harder to try to stay awake for an extended amount of time than it is to, um, to sleep, you know, you, you're naturally going to sleep. That's something you can't fight. You know, it will happen. It maybe not happen. It won't. Maybe it doesn't happen tonight, but it's sure going to happen eventually. And I guess that confidence that you have that sleep will come um, is what you really need because a person who is not suffering from insomnia, they have a ton of confidence that sleep is going to come every night they lay down, you know, maybe not instantly, but it's going to come. And I think what people going through insomnia, what they lose is that confidence that sleep is going to come. And like I said, it's such a simple phrase that you said, but you know, the nights when I lay there on, when I'm, my mind is racing and I'm wondering, am I going to sleep tonight? How's my day going to be if I don't sleep? You know, that phrase pops up again. And I remind myself, sleep is going to come. Mm-hmm. You, you can try to fight it, but, you know, it will always win in the end. Yeah. That's just something we, we cannot deny. It's just a fact. I, no matter how entrenched our insomnia is, we can always remember times when we have got some sleep, even if it's just a couple of hours. because our body will always generate sleep, but yet 
when we're really in the throes of insomnia, you know, like really struggling, our brains like to tell us, you know, oh, you've had a difficult, you had no sleep last night. That means you're going to have no sleep tonight and then no sleep the next night and no sleep the next night. But from a biological perspective, you know, that that cannot be true. Um, but it's it's just our brain looking out for us. You know, our brain is there to protect us, you know, and do do good for us, help us live the best life we can. It's kind of like this really overly enthusiastic friend, you know, it's like, do this, you're going to do great. How are you doing? Let's do this. Let's do that. How, how's it going now? And it's just trying so hard to help us out, you know, that it can kind of get get in the way, right? Um, but the truth is, even when our brain is looking out for us and warning us that you had no sleep last night, what if that happens again tonight? What if that happens the night after? The truth of the matter is that sleep always happens in the end. When we've been awake for long enough, we will always sleep. And that the body is always going to generate, at the very least, the minimum amount of sleep we need. It will always generate that. Um, where where we struggle to get more than the bare minimum is often down to those efforts you know those human that human desire to get more sleep or to get better quality of sleep and when we get involved in that process once the body has kind of generated that bare minimum um it's it can as soon as we get then get involved that's when we can start disrupting that natural process because we've already got that bare minimum. So the body can actually be awake now. Um, when we get more than the bare minimum is when we can take that step of removing ourselves from that process. I think there's this pressure that you put on yourself. And I think for me personally, that's how it all started. And, you know, and then that pressure turned into just my, the way I viewed sleep just morphed, you know, Sleep is our friend and not something to be afraid of, but it became something that I was afraid of. I dread going to bed at night and mm. laying there with the possibility of not falling asleep. And, um, you know, I think what ultimately has to take place is you have to not be afraid of it anymore and, and see it as a friend that it's always been in your life and that you know there's nothing wrong with you it's just you it's just your perception of of sleep has changed a lot of clients that i work with find it helpful to just reframe the process of going to bed instead of this being now it's time for sleep it can just be now it's time to just relax and rest you know um just changing the goal because as soon as you make sleep the goal, um, we're more likely to put pressure on ourselves. We're more likely to put effort into the process. These things aren't helpful. But if we just make, I'm just going to go to bed, rest, relax, see what happens. Sometimes that can create those better conditions for sleep because we're helping to remove our, our goals and our expectations from that process. Yeah. I remember even re reading research papers on how um, there were studies where people were told to try to sleep as quickly as they can. And, mm -hmm. and in the control group, they were just told to sleep. And the people who were told simply to sleep slept quicker, whereas the people who were told to actively try to sleep ended up you know, spending more time than they would normally, normally average would spend trying to get to sleep. Yeah. So sleep is just one of those things that really cannot require, cannot require effort. <laughs> Yeah.
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that that's a really interesting study, that one. And I like to refer, to refer to that one with a lot of the clients I work with, you know, that what as soon as we do try, that's when we struggle the most. And I think in that study you mentioned, I think it was maybe even like college students that like slept great. You know, they chose like the healthiest people they could find, the people that generally slept the best. But as soon as they said, right, we'll give you like a hundred dollars or whatever, to whoever falls asleep the fastest, oh man, no, there was no <laughs> sleep happening in that group anymore because of that effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you we've talked a lot about you know the 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 cognitive side, the mind side of things. Um, that's definitely a big part of the puzzle. Um, and you, we also touched upon a couple of those behavioral changes, like you started to a lot, a little bit less time for sleep, you know? So instead of starting to go to bed really early, maybe start going to bed a little bit later um, just to reduce that opportunity for long periods of wakefulness and to build up that biological sleep drive, that natural urge, that pressure to sleep because you're mm-hmm. going to be awake for longer. Um, were there any other techniques on the behavioral side that you found to be particularly helpful? Well, so going um the idea of going to bed later and spending um, less time in bed, that definitely does work. And I was kind of a skeptic at first. And, you know, it just seems so counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, but it, it really works. Um, there, there wasn't, I don't remember there was much. I feel like now that so much time has passed since, you know, yeah. my initial struggle with it, it seems like such a distant past, but I, I don't really recall, you know, aside from just kind of having all these different rituals, which really wasn't helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, sometimes I like to drink um, tea at night. And so I cut that out of my, um, my, my life um, after I think five, that was something I did. Um, but now that everything's gone back to normal, I realized that like it doesn't really help no matter how much tea I drink, I can still go to bed because that's normal for me. I, I can sleep just fine. And that yeah. is more of a hygiene than, than anything. Mm. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. You know, I, I think everyone listening to this is going to identify with those, you know, rituals that we try, especially with this sleep hygiene stuff, which isn't usually helpful once we're at that stage where we've got the chronic insomnia, because this is now we're in the stage where it's all those perpetuating factors that are at play. And often those perpetuating factors include all the rituals, you know, I'm going to try and meditate my, my way to sleep. I'm going to try this supplement. I'm going to try this tea, or I'm going to take stuff away. I'm going to stop drinking coffee in the morning. I'm going to stop eating a certain food that I really enjoy just in case that could be influencing things. So just being able to abandon all those rituals, even if it doesn't seem to have a direct change or influence on your sleep, first and foremost, like in the short term, I have clients that tell me, wow, it just felt so liberating just to be able to remove all of that stuff, you know, and just make the approach of bedtime less, less kind of this list of chores that I have to do that I have to implement. I've kind of got that time back now. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like you said, it's liberating. And, um, you know, it's, it also kind of frees you in a way that like, 
you're not really dependent on it and you really aren't um you don't need to do all of those things in order to fall asleep and when i was going through it that you know like i kind of briefly mentioned earlier i would if i didn't get this ritual done at the back of my mind it just mm. crept up it was like this question of is did i screw it up tonight you know and yeah you know it's liberating to not have to think about those things and put all these um, restrictions in yourself i think certainly there's a there's a place for them um you shouldn't drink you know a giant cup of coffee before you go to bed <laughs> right it's certainly not going to be fuel for you to, to sleep um but you know it, it is a very much of a behavioral um psychological battle that happens really yeah yeah definitely and you touched upon a good point there is not only like if we miss one of those rituals that can in turn like kind of lead to more worry and that in effect can make sleep more difficult but when even when if we try implementing like this new ritual or doing something new and then it we feel like oh yeah this is working or i'm sleeping better now if then we have a difficult night then we start to worry that that new thing isn't working anymore and we get caught up going down the rabbit hole of then looking for an alternative or looking for modifications it can just be like this endless struggle and this it can be like yeah. this real distraction um and i absolutely did people. do that <laughs> i yeah. absolutely did that <laughs> yeah so um you touched upon this earlier you know you said that you found it helpful to just kind of ring fence some time during the day um for to just like permission to worry or to freak out or to think about sleep as much as you wanted just to just so that instead of it being just spread out across the entire day um, or trying to battle with those thoughts throughout the day, it can be helpful to just set aside a little bit of time. So whenever whenever these thoughts or worries crop up, you just be like, okay, I'm, I've noticed these thoughts or these worries cropping up. I'll address that at, let's say, three o'clock this afternoon. I'll give myself 15 minutes to just worry and think about sleep as much as I can. And I think it can be helpful, like you touched upon, because it can help shift or just kind of condense the amount of time we're going to spend worrying um, down. But I think where it can also be really helpful, I don't know if this was true for you or not in your experience, but I think it can be helpful as a way to recognize that although thoughts and worries can be difficult and uncomfortable, we don't necessarily have to fear them or be afraid of them because they're, they're just their thought processes that the brain is generating. And I think when we specifically allot time to worry, human nature is to try and push those thoughts and those, those emotions away. But when we're kind of giving our mind permission to generate those thoughts and worries for this set time during the day, I think that can be quite powerful as a way of helping us recognize that these are thoughts Then they're, they're nothing more than that. They're nothing less than that. They're just thoughts that the brain wants to generate. Yeah, no, it is. And, you know, ironically, I've also, also applied that to my day-to-day -day life now when I have mm. worries, I, some there are some things that you know i that pop up in your personal life and you find yourself spending a lot of time thinking about and this is one thing that i've learned to just kind of give myself space to think about it um, and it's okay um, but not to really obsess i think that is the key not to spend your whole day thinking about it and having that safe like time 
set aside for yourself is is important not to shove it down because ultimately it's it's difficult to tell somebody to just forget about your worries you know and it will go away it's it's difficult and you will learn that with time but um kind of being gentle and nice to yourself i think yeah. is really important to get through it you have to you have to be nice to yourself and um, taking away, you know, any opportunity to, to worry is, is not very nice. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, what, what I think could be helpful too is just recognizing, like I touched upon earlier, that all these thoughts and worries are it's just your brain trying to look out for you, trying to take care of you. You know, it's not your brain trying to make you feel awful or miserable, although that can certainly be feelings that these thoughts can generate. Um, so I think just recognizing that the brain is looking out for us when it's generating these thoughts and these feelings, they can definitely feel really uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, we always get to choose our actions in response to them. You know, so we can choose to respond in a way that, you know, kind of leads to behaviors that we know from our own experience don't usually make us feel better, don't really help. Or we can try something new whereby we recognize, we acknowledge that, okay, my brain's looking out for me. It's generating all these really difficult thoughts and feelings and emotions. But let's see if I can take some actions that still help me move toward the kind of life I want to live, to implementing behaviors that might be different, might be helpful, even though all these thoughts and feelings and emotions are present, even though they are difficult. Let's see if we can control our actions in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it is, you know, difficult. It was difficult, you know, living with um, insomnia. It felt like uh, you were held down by a weight and changing yeah. your perspective on, on, life really and it was such a, it's such a relief to be able to put down that weight yeah definitely see one thing that i know that you were keen to talk about and i'd love to hear a little bit from you about it as well was like really what our conversation here has been about is how insomnia follows this common path right it's pretty typical from person to person so the way we look to address those perpetuating factors is usually pretty similar from person to person. You know, we look to change our behaviors in a way that create better conditions for sleep. And we help to explore our relationship with all those thoughts and feelings and emotions that our brain is generating in an attempt to look out for us. Um, so insomnia is pretty much identical from person to person. And so the way we tackle it is usually pretty much identical from person to person. So I believe that you used your experience dealing with chronic insomnia and changing behaviors and the, your relationship with thoughts to actually help someone else who was going through something similar. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. It was. I, I think ever since I'd gone through this experience and I'm just, I spent a, like a lot of time and also just kind of looking out to make sure that there are you know, people who aren't also suffering with this and because I, I don't, I know it can be fixed and it's a terrible thing to just kind of hold on to. And so anytime I hear people talk about, oh, I'm not sleeping well, and I kind of 
pursue that and, and ask about it. But there was a lady that was, um, who was kind of going through something very similar to what I was going through at my church. And, you know, the circumstances of how it started may be different, but our experiences are relatively similar. And, um, and you could probably attest to that. But um, I, I just kind of spent what I knew about sleep. And, um, and I think kind of going through and, you know, being done with insomnia has taught me how to kind of communicate that with mm-hmm. um, somebody who's going through that. I think, I think everybody knows and understands this relationship they have with sleep, but, you know, it's only people who suffer through it can, who can communicate that. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think this is why I think your, these podcasts that you host are very important to, for not one, only not just for people to understand that there's people out there who are suffering like they are, but also <clears throat> to allow people like me who've gone through it to be able to express it into words. Cause I think it's very difficult sometimes to put it into words. Um, mm-hmm. But this lady um, who was spending on the orders of three to four hours of just laying in bed, tossing and turning, trying to get the bed. And um, the way she's describing it to me sounds still sounded really like really early stages where she's really anxious about it. And that anxiety around sleep was starting to build up. And um, I knew it was a, something close and dear to her heart because she brought it up in, um, in a prayer group. And so it was something that was concerning her and something that she wanted to get rid of. And so I taught her what I knew about sleep and, um, you know, trying to restrict her sleep, um, kind of the regimen that I went through. But then more importantly, it was kind of communicating with her about this relationship that we have with sleep and um, how really it's her perception of it has changed. And ultimately, that's what she has to kind of undo um, in order to get rid of it. And I'm happy to say, you know, she's, she's uh, gone through it and she's done with it. And now she's sleeping as she normally does in, you know, seven, eight hours of sleep. Wow. So, you know, I think for people who are going through it, I want to say to them, you can get through this. And not only that, this is something you'll carry with you for the rest of your life. And, there are going to, there are days that I still worry about it, but then all of the, that relationship that I, and thoughts about sleep that I learned through it helps me get through those nights. And, um, and it'll not only help you, but also you can use that to help others get through, mm-hmm. you know, these difficult times. The reason why I love all these techniques is because they're skills-based, really. You know, as we're learning new skills. And once we learn new skills, they're with us forever. And so we can always just bring them back out anytime we find ourselves struggling again in the future. Um, but I think you're the first person I've had on who's told me that not only do you feel good because you've got all those techniques in your back pocket, but you've also been using them to help other people as well. Um, so I think that's that's really powerful. That's really um really interesting and exciting to hear yeah 
so I, um, I work with um, patients and sometimes they'll talk about their sleep. And if I think that there's something chronic, I always kind of mention, you know, cognitive, cognitive uh, behavioral therapy as a, as a um, potential thing that they could look up and mm. pursue because I really do believe in it. I was, I will have to say in the beginning, I was a bit of a skeptic because it's like, yeah. well, how much can, how much can I really change just because of how I think about something or my mm. behavior towards something? But the mind is a very, very powerful thing. Yeah, it really is. Well, one one thing I'm curious about, and I'm one, I, so I'm guessing that some other people listening to this would be curious about too, is how how you slept in the end. You know, on the on the night before all those exams, um, how was your sleep? And I'm guessing that your performance was good enough. How did that all go in the end? Yeah, so I, I managed to pass boards, um, board is certified now practicing in Philly um, during my residency in Philadelphia. Um, um, and, and my sleep, um, it, it did take a while, I'll say, before I finally like kind of gone back to what I would say baseline to where it was getting my you know seven, eight hours of sleep, maybe sometimes even nine if it's a lazy day. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yeah, the, these days I I am waking up earlier, um, like around seven, and going to bed around eleven or twelve, um, mm-hmm. just because you know you, your circadian rhythm is also very very powerful, and ultimately, you know these days I I can't help but fall asleep when when the certain time comes and yeah i think that is something you know going through it you do have to rebuild as your circadian rhythm and resetting it um in a way that it works for you and not against you mm. yeah but yeah. i can confidently say that I'm, I'm getting you know um all the sleep that i'm satisfied with mm-hmm. um you know i i don't need and i think for maybe about six months i was getting six and a half, six, occasionally seven. But, you know, I learned to be satisfied with whatever came. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important. And then ultimately when that happens, it all kind of sheds and you get to just go back to being normal yeah. once you're satisfied with what you got. Yeah. And so just... um if you can just clarify the timeline for me, were, when were when did you end up taking the board exams? Was it when we was it before we were working together? When we were working together, or did it was that after we were we were done working together? I'm just trying to remember. We, yeah, I started working with you, and then maybe about a month or two, then I took boards. It, it was a very strange time. My board certification was actually due March of 2020. COVID mm. happened, so all of that mm. got delayed. So I had that like four month period where I really didn't have anything that I had to do because everything was closed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that probably didn't help my insomnia because it just allowed me to do nothing but think about it. Yeah. <laughs> think about my insomnia. Um, but yeah, during that time I was getting you know, three or four hours of sleep um, and some nights not even any sleep. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think by the time I was ready to take boards, I was pretty much at that point where I was comfortable getting, you know, six hours of sleep. Yeah. And yeah. so 
specifically what was if you remember how did you sleep like the night before um it, it was oh. exam time did you have the best <laughs> yeah. night's sleep you've ever had was it like a miracle or was uh, there a little bit of struggle there no it wasn't it's not you know perf a perfect story it, you know it, it life events can still affect you and i think it's absolutely you have to tell yourself that it's okay that you get yeah you know, a few, a bad night of sleep, if you're going through a, you know, something really important and stressful and it, yep. and that's okay. And it's absolutely mm -hmm. okay for yourself to go through that. And that happened when I, boards came and I did struggle a little bit, but you know, I used what I knew about sleep and calmed myself down and just, you know, reminded myself of all of those sayings about sleep and um ultimately i was able to fall asleep uh i think i fell asleep around 1 30 or 2. and so i was happy and 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 i had no issue with that and i i um because i knew i can function with even like three or four hours of sleep because i've i've done that before i've functioned i function mm -hmm. fine with four or five hours of sleep um and i learned that only because i went through it mm -hmm. um I think if I had taken, you know, the same boards without, you know, going through all of that, I probably would have still struggled to sleep at night. And, and, you know, my mindset with four hours of sleep probably would have been very different than after, you know, going through insomnia and, and going through the whole program. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there's like two really big important points. Well, maybe even more. I think first and f that you've made there first and foremost being that we're always going to have difficult nights from time to time. You know, if you're looking for the best night's sleep you've ever had every single night of your life, that's something you're never going to achieve, right? We're human beings. When there's good stuff about to happen or when there's difficult stuff about to happen, it's normal for us to experience sleep disruption. Um, second of all, we can still do things even after difficult nights, even after no sleep whatsoever, we can still actually function. Um, it can feel like we can't function, we've lost all ability to function, but if you're still able to breathe and see um, and hear, then you are functioning even at the most basic level. Um, and it's definitely not to kind of downplay the effects because they can be really difficult and it can feel as though I just have a complete inability to function but we can still function at some level and we can like you said if we can give ourselves the opportunity to experience it how capable we might be able to be um, by giving things a try we might surprise ourselves and um I, I was surprised that you said you got much sleep at all the night before the board exams because I know <laughs> if it was me in that situation I probably wouldn't have got one minute of sleep but my interpretation of that is different you know because i'm not in that in the throes of the insomnia struggle i would be like yeah sucked i didn't get any sleep but i'd still go to the exam i'd still feel reasonably confident that i could perform um maybe not 100 percent of my ability but probably pretty high up there um mm -hmm. and still do well and i've had clients that have had gone through really long periods of awful sleep and done amazing things like really intense job interviews and still pass them um, done really intense like boot camps crossfit physical competitions and placed really highly is kind of incredible how capable we can be even after 
really difficult nights. So I think it's helpful to recognize that we're always going to have difficult nights from time to time. And second of all, that we can still be quite remarkably capable even after difficult nights too. Yeah. All right, Wayne. Well, I really appreciate the time that you've that you've given up out of your day to talk to us. Um, I feel like you've kind of already touched upon this, but it, this is a question that I ask every guest, and so I want to ask you too. And it's this: if someone with chronic insomnia is listening and feels as though they've tried everything, that they're beyond help, and that they just can't do anything to improve their sleep, what would you tell them? I would say that um, there isn't anything wrong with you, that um, everybody is capable of sleep and everybody is capable of um, getting good sleep. Uh, with that said, I think it's important to kind of, you know, rule out any health issues that you may have um, underlying, you know, causes that could cause you to have experience insomnia. but. Mm -hmm. You know, if all things said and, you know, all those things are, are ruled out and you're just struggling with it, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, it does require you to, um, I don't want to use the word effort because it's not, you know, effort may cause the sleep to be harder, but it does require you to kind of change your mind about things and how you view sleep but um you know when i was going through it it really helped me to hear people finally being cured of insomnia and it's strange now that i'm on this side you know speaking to somebody who may be going through it um but you know i made it um I went through it and, you know, you can too, you really can. And you don't have to live with it. You, um, you can put it down. You can put down this um, boulder that you're carrying. Um, it won't be instantaneous. It will take time for it to happen. So be gentle with yourself. Be kind to yourself. And just remember that sleep is not an enemy, it's your friend. And you just have to learn to be reacquainted with sleep because you've always known it all your life. Even as a child, um, you've been friends with sleep. And, you know, just treat your time going through it as being reacquainted with this. Um, person that you've you know just have a warped view of what whatever caused the warpage to happen that can be undone that's great well i think that's a really great note to end on so thank you again for taking time to come on and sh share your experience wayne yeah thanks for having me thanks Thanks for listening to the Insomnia Coach podcast. If you're ready to move away from struggling with insomnia and toward living the life you want to live, I would love to help. 
you can get started right now by enrolling in my online course or you can book my phone coaching package. My online course runs for six weeks. It will help you make changes that can create better conditions for sleep. It will help you identify and get rid of any behaviors that might be making sleep more difficult and it will help you respond to insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it in a more workable way. You can work through the course in two ways. You can choose the self-coaching option and work through it by yourself with the support of an online forum that is available only to clients. Or you can choose to add one-on-one -on -one email coaching and work through the course with me by your side. With the one-on-one -on -one coaching option, you get unlimited email access to me for eight weeks, starting from the day you enroll. Anytime you have a question or concern, anytime you're unsure about anything, anytime you want to focus on the challenges you face or any difficulties that show up, you can email me and I will be there to coach and support you. With the phone coaching package, we start with a one hour call, voice only or video, your choice, and come up with an initial two week plan that will help you create better conditions for sleep and practice moving away from struggling with insomnia and all the difficult thoughts and feelings that come with it. You get unlimited email access to me for two weeks after the call and a half hour follow-up call at the end of the two weeks. You can book the phone coaching package at insomniacoach.com forward slash phone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Insomnia Coach podcast. I'm Martin Reed, and as always, I'd like to leave you with this important reminder. You can sleep.